Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators, but no one compares. Badass Women's Hour XL with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. One, two, three, four! Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour podcast. Three women, one podcast, and a whole load of badass. This week featuring me, Harriet Minter, Emma Sexton, and Scarlett Douglas. Each week, we'll bring you the best bits from our talk radio show, Badass Women's Hour. This week, we meet one woman who has found the value for 101 countries around the world. Do you know why poets gather in Nicaragua? Or why steadfastness is a British character trait? She does, and she explains it all to us. Plus, we look at the steps your company can take to become truly gender equal. So, first up, we meet Yael Nebo, co-director at Genderscope. She talked to us about working hours and how you can create a code of conduct that should ensure gender equality throughout your company. So, did you know that roughly uh, 30% of your time at work is wasted on admin? This is from research, uh, which shows that we're all spending probably about 12 hours a week doing tasks that we don't need to do. We are joined by Yael Nevo from Genderscope to talk about this. Yael, why are we wasting all this time? Oh, <laughs> that what is are a we very doing? good question. Well, I think mostly um, the tide research that you are referring to talks about decision makers in SMEs. Mm-hmm. And, um, Which is small to medium enterprise, so yes. small businesses really. Yes, yeah. thank you. Um, and more specifically for me as a gender consultant, I want to look at the gender statistics, right? So uh, one of the things that they're talking about is how men work more than women. Men decision makers work more than women decision makers, uh, both overall and also in national holidays. Um, another really interesting statistics is about how uh, women decision makers feel more out of depth. So doing things that they're not really at their element just to make the business run. So does this say then that actually we should have more men in leadership if they are working longer hours and they feel more confident with what they're doing? Is this an argument for why we should have more men at the top of business? <laughs> no, I think overall we, you know, I think we should all work less, if anything. <laughs> I like that. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and tell us with Genderscopes, your gender consultancy, what mm-hmm. do you do? What do you go into businesses to look at? Well, uh, we have a four-step process and it is a cyclical process and it's a very important part. Uh, So when we go into a company, we look at, we conduct a gender gap analysis. So we look at a company both horizontally and vertically and we try to find the gap and each company is unique. 
And once we do recognize that gap, we work with management to create a gender sensitive code of conduct or a gender responsive code of conduct. I think it's a better term. Um, and it is a product that is comprised of a company's vision, um, a company's values, but the most important part is the actionable commitments. Mm -hmm. So each company is committing to create changes in the company. And these changes are benchmarked, they are time bound. Um, and then the most important part of the process, I mean, there is the delivery of, of the commitments, but then the most important part is the monitoring and the evaluation of the gender code of conduct. It's a living, breathing document. It's not something to put in a drawer. So we work with companies and we monitor their progress to make sure that they are delivering on their commitments. When we talk about a gender code of conduct, what sort of stuff does that cover? Well, um, it's, it's, it's a brilliant question. And we look mainly at issues of leadership. So, for example, represent, uh, representation. Uh, we look at issues of HR. So, for example, how do you treat your LGBT employees? Uh, and we look at issues of communication. So how do you present your company? What are the messages that you put out there in the world? And also internal communication. Um, and so when you're talking, because when we think about talking about code of conduct, for me, that sort of says a lot about the culture of a company. Mm, so mm -hmm. actually, how does a company treat its employees? How do we, uh, how do we manage that question of banter? Um, I'm looking, thinking about the Weinstein case that's going on at the moment. You, know, how do you create a culture where there isn't an abuse of power? How much of that do you find companies want to build in to their organisations? I think it's it's a really big. Uh, issue for companies. And I think a lot of um, companies and leadership, people in leadership, really do want to create a change and they're not sure how to go about it. So the gender responsive code of conduct's purpose is to change organizational culture. But what happens a lot of the time is that companies make big statements and they don't know how to deliver. Mm -hmm. And the idea of the code of conduct is that we have very clear uh, sets of commitments and we look at, we change company policies, we do trainings, we advise on legal issues to make sure that we really check into every gap that the company has, including the culture. Do you find that there's, um, there's common uh, excuses for organisations as to, as to why they can't necessarily change things, change any gender imbalances that they've got within businesses? Because I, I still feel like there's a, a real struggle. It's still not mainstream, is it? We're, st we're getting there and it's yeah. great that there's an organisation like you and clearly there's organisations that are committed to, to wanting to implement this change. But what are the excuses that you see that come, come up for business owners which are causing barriers for them to have, you know, a better gender balance. Mm. Um, well, I think, first of all, it's important to understand that, you know, businesses don't, are not created in a bubble, right? So our society is gender imbalanced and therefore, you know, businesses do have this issue. Um, I think one of the things that I come across a lot is, you know, th things like there aren't enough women uh, with the experience that we need or, you know, like there aren't enough um, LGBTQI people that, you know, we can push forward. Um, I would say that especially in um, STEM professions, so, you know, technical professions, there is this issue and, and we can't, you know, deny that there is... Um, 
different genders go towards different professions. Um, however, I don't think that that is an excuse. I think that this is something that we need to address seriously. Um, one example with um, uh, a company that I remember working with, they decided that they're going to uh, start a um, like an academy for um, for schoolgirls to push them towards STEM professions if they wish. So encouraging young women to uh, to start a career in this field is one way to do it, for example. Mm. So you said as well that the code of conduct is something that you can't just put in your drawer, put on a wall, you've done it, you've you know, signed off, you've got your certificate. It's constantly changing. So how do you take, stay on top of all of that? of the changes and everything, it's always evolving, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of reading. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, I'm curious and, and I love anything gender related. I have many years experience in that field. So I do a lot of reading. I mm -hmm. do, um, I, I, I talk to many people and also every company I go and work with gives me mm -hmm. a new perspective and understanding of what's coming next and also how different cultures interact with this issue. Okay. Are you also seeing a business impact? I think there's a, there's within the business um, uh, community, I, I feel like the barrier to change is there until you can prove that it's going to have impact on the bottom line. So do you see these companies that you're working with, not only is it you know the right thing to do and that they should be doing, mm. but are they are they seeing any kind of unexpected business impact from? from working with you and implementing this code of contact, conduct that they perhaps was unexpected or, or have you seen a, a different business impact that you weren't expecting? Uh, well, there is ample research showing how gender diversity benefits companies. I mean, one of the things that really needs to change is to understand that gender equality is not a nice to have. It's not an, just an ethical issue. Yes, it is an ethical issue, but that is it is really um, a, a, a competitive edge for businesses. We're talking, you know, higher return on sales and higher share value. We're talking about better decision-making processes, opening new markets, better image for businesses. So all these things do um, come back once a business makes an investment in uh, making their company more equal. But it is really it is an investment and that is a really really important thing to say you can't just put you know a nice declaration saying we want to be gender equal and then not put mm. some money and time behind it to make that happen mm. and then for you as well have you come across a company that you've wanted to go toward and say look I think that you should do this that and that and they've said no or is it very much companies bring you in how does it work mm. um well so far it's it's been um a different com uh, process with each company okay uh hopefully in, in a few more years <laughs> we'll have a, a better idea of what is the process we've been quite lucky that a lot of our clients came to us okay um, for example, we're working with um, the London School of Economics with their entrepreneurial program. And they came to us and they said, oh, we really think that, uh, first of all, we need to have a gender sensitive code of conduct of our own. And we want you to train our new businesses to make sure that they are gender equal so that we have better foundations rather than solving problems. Mm. Um, another company that we're working with is the UN. We were working with UNDP, the development program. Um, and again, they came to us. Um, and then there are other companies that we go and we kind of pitch and sell. So 
Uh, some companies actually recognize the issue and the problem and come to us and others. We kind of need to go and say, hey, you're going to benefit from it if you work with us. So it's, mm. uh, I'm not sure if it answers your question. Well, no, it's, it's good to know you. There's a good mix, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ideally, they, I mean, the fact that, you know, really big organizations come to us is quite amazing. Yeah, it's really good. It shows that there are companies out, out there that want to change and want to make sure they implement these code of conduct. That's yeah, fantastic. absolutely. And, and there is change in our society. And mm. this is a really good example of it. For smaller companies who maybe don't have the resources or sort of looking at it being like, I just don't have the money to invest in this, but mm. I know I want to do something. Mm-hmm. Where where would you recommend they start when it comes to thinking about the gender makeup within their organization and how they best balance it? Hmm. Uh, good question. I mean, the process that I'm describing right now, you know, the whole kind of four step process is kind of the ideal thing that I believe really brings about serious change. Uh, but for any small business, I would say take a few hours to consult with gender consultants because people who come from the outside really bring a valuable perspective. Um, And then whatever commitment you decide to make, make sure that the leadership is accountable. So live your principles, live your principles. Again, don't put the idea in a drawer, but really make sure that if you're advocating, for example, for um, better work-life balance in your company, then have the men leaders in your company go at four o'clock to take their kids out of school, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, you really need to live your values and to make sure that if you lead a business, however big or small, that you do uh, represent the change that you want to see in your company. Thank you, and Thank you so much for joining us and talking about that. The Badass Women's Hour is Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. Three women, one podcast and a whole load of badass. As long as we've had our coffee. Now, do you notice how sometimes you travel to a country and instantly get a sense of what it's like to be there and what the people are like? Well, our next guest has been studying 101 countries in depth to try and work out how she could summarise them in just one word. Dr Mandeep Ray joins us to talk about her new book, The Values Compass. Do you know why you make the decisions you do? Do you know what drives them? Do you know where those beliefs and ideas and values come from? Well, our next guest went on a worldwide exploration to try and understand why specific countries have specific values. Uh, Dr. Mandeep Ray went to 101 countries to try and find the unique value that identified every single one of them. Uh, Mandeep, welcome to Badass Women's Out. It's lovely to have you here. It's great to be here. Thank you. That was an awesome introduction. <laughs> oh, thank you. You know your stuff. Uh, well, let's, well, start, At least come, in this case. Come back to that in 20 minutes time. We'll see. Um, what in at what point did you go i hadn't even thought about this until i saw your book i hadn't thought mm. of course there is a kind of core uniqueness to every single country when did you realize that i think when i first left the uk at the age of 11 and went to france on a school trip actually we were going to spain but we went by bus or by a coach through france and into spain and i just remember being gobsmacked at how different it was how people moved differently dressed differently thought differently everything it was just it really just struck me and I could I can still remember every minute of that trip and it's been like that my whole life if you ask me about Cote d'Ivoire I can tell you what happened if you ask me what happened yesterday I'm not so sure (laughs) so you know familiarity kind of blurs 
Whereas when you're somewhere new, you're just so alive and you soak things up. And so while travelling or whenever I'm in a new place, I just become like an observer. And you notice whenever you hit the ground anywhere, I'm sure all of you feel this, you, there's a moment of, wow, look how, look how they do that or look how, look how they speak or look how different X is. That happens everywhere you go. And I'm sure as you go through the book, you're, so many of these values will be, feel really familiar to you and others may be less so. How did you distill it down to one clear value didn't you for every single country like does it does it take you a long time to do that because i i'm like you i'm fascinated about the the differences and you but to really distill it down to to kind of a foundational value that you think is driving the culture and the decisions how long did it take you to do, to do that good question um i thought it would take me nine months it took me 10 years oh wow um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> So um, the book was meant to be called Letters to My Unborn Child and I thought I would just whittle these off and actually they started off as emails. So when I would, when I would land in a, in a new country, I'd often be reporting and after all the reports and normally on the last day, I'd just send an email back home to my friends and family, normally written late in the night when I'm just kind of gathering everything together in terms of what had happened. And everyone used to say, one day these should be in a book. And I didn't think at the time that I was speaking about values. But upon reflection, you see, um, for example, just because we started with the first country I'd been to, which was France, you see the way people stand up for their rights in France. You see the way people are willing to protest. And in fact, I would experience that. And now I've been to France many, many times. And I experience that every single time I <laughs> yeah, go. Yeah, they like a strike. <laughs> yeah, <they>? yeah. <laughs> and so it, 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 you actually, when you start thinking about values, you realise that there are certain things that happen again and again and again in certain places. So, for example, um, with Spain, it's enjoyment and how they take pleasure in the smallest things like the sun on their face or breaking over, breaking open bread for the first time. And you don't just see that in Spain. You also see that when you speak to Spanish people in other places mm -hmm. Like you know, they'll talk about how they just went for a morning swim or and just the small things and how much enjoyment that gives them. Or um, often I think about India because I know India so well. And I know how faith permeates every single part of India. Like they, you know, often you will be named according to your faith, you'll marry according to your faith, you'll find a job according to your faith, or you'll ask a pundit or something will happen. Every decision pretty much is made according to faith. And then you wouldn't even get into a rickshaw if you didn't believe in something. And normally all the gods are on the windscreen. And they, you, know, like, you just see faith everywhere. Or respect in Japan, where it permeates every strata of society, from kindergarten children who are taught to put their shoes, their outside shoes, in a corner and then put on their indoor slippers just to go into school and you know, taught how to put their umbrella away or how to fold things up. I mean, respect is in everything they do. So that's just a few examples that probably resonate. I'm going to say you have quite a few here. You've got Vietnam's resilience, Argentina's passion, South Africa's forgiveness, English steadfastness, yeah, yeah. Uh, Croatia's friendliness. How long did you spend in each country to be able to work out exactly what it was about them that, that was separate? So Sri Lanka's joy. How long were you in these places to know what it was? Um, I would say if you were asking for an average, probably mm. a month. Okay. Often I've lived in many of these places and sometimes it's shorter 
but I would say the average was a month okay. just because you're normally I'm normally on assignment and you just yeah. you know you try and seep in the culture in order to report anyway can oh, I yes. ask you what makes a value how do you define it a really good question so someone asked me recently, are there even 101 values? So a value, my definition of a value is something that you value, something that you think is important. So for some people, that will be joy. For other people, it will be recognition. For a third person, it might be cleanliness. Like all these things are things that people think are really important. And if, you, if I were to ask you um, what's important to you, you wouldn't really, one, see them as values, and two, you'd find it quite hard to answer the question. But if I said to you, think of a hero, think of someone you really admire, and then tell me the attributes that you like about them, or, in fact, the reason you admire them is because they have those attributes. They're the values that you actually treasure or think are important. But you just, we just don't think of life in, in the, you know, as values. But it's all happening in your subconscious, and actually your decisions are made according to your values. Were there some which really surprised you? So I was just looking through the list and the one that sort of stuck out for me was Czech Republic and craftsmanship. And I wouldn't have thought that at all. And yet when I think of, I've only been to the Czech Republic a couple of times, when I think of the beauty of some of the woodwork and some of the design there, oh yeah, that's that's very obvious. Which were the ones that surprised you? Really good question. Uh so I feel that with the Czech Republic, actually, I saw that attention to detail in everything, whether you, yeah. you see it in the buildings, you see it in the way they'll make a table, they'll even stop and take a long time to make something with their own hands. It's kind of called golden hands. They really treasure their golden hands and do making something from start to finish and repairing something rather than just throwing it in the bin and getting a new one. So... Um, I saw that everywhere. What surprised me, I guess a hard, a difficult one and one that was hard to work out was North Korea um, because one, it's really just hard to work out that society in the first place and there's, there's what oh. they're being told about you and what you're being told about them are, there are many kind of smokes and mirrors between yeah. the two societies. So while I was there... Um, I was wondering how much of the truth am I actually allowed to see here and how much of this is true. Um, but upon reflection, I came up with the value of loyalty because they're having to be extremely loyal to one another. Sometimes they're having to be extremely loyal to the regime. I mean, it's all based on loyalty to the regime. Like as soon as you visit, even as a visitor, you have to go and visit the mausoleum of the dear leader and the great leader and you have to pay your respects and you wear a badge and you're just... Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't do these things, you're seen as a traitor and and very quickly you can get into trouble. So as I was leaving the country, I didn't realise, but I had to keep all the receipts of anything I had bought. And there was a, a painting in my suitcase, um, like a rolled up poster, actually. And when the guards who were checking my luggage opened the, the poster, they said, where's the receipt? And they didn't look at me. They looked at, so you have a chaperone. The whole time you're there, you're never left alone. You always yeah. have like a guide. Um, but the guide is really someone who works for the government. And they looked at him and he just went white. I mean, <gasps> I've never seen that kind of fear. And they didn't look at me again and he couldn't look at me again. And I kind of just froze because he was then escorted away by two guards no. because of this, because of a receipt. Now, imagine the amount of how you have to keep one another's back 
And mm. if you don't, yeah. how easily things can go wrong. And there's no one asking, oh, was this a misunderstanding or what was your intent? There is no conversation. So they just thought that you stole it because well, you didn't have a receipt? I don't think that... I don't know if they thought I stole it or whether he or whether he hadn't explained the rule or whether something had... I don't know what the they thought. The protocol had gone wrong. Yes. Or, yeah. But the fact is that something had gone wrong, this is not the way it was meant to be, and someone was going to pay for it. Wow. Oh, my God. You must have such an amazing world view now, having been to all these countries and really, like, like been, uh, you know, observing and being curious. Is there... Is there anything that you saw that actually was common of... of Everybody, maybe I don't know. I'm just really, yes. in, I'm really interested that you you just have this unique view of the world, and I'm kind of interested to know whether what, what do you what do you what have you seen now? What's uh, what are any observations that you've made from going to all those countries? Um, so one thing, one value that I think everyone thinks they have, and everyone kind of almost fought over, was hospitality, which is true. Like mm. everyone actually extends themselves and are super gracious to a stranger or to a foreigner or to a new person and so everyone was like well no no we are the most hospitable nation every time I talk about it or ask about it the the first value if I say to someone what do you think you know what are you most proud of what value do you think you stand for they'd all say hospitality because that's what they're exemplifying but I gave it to Turkey because they truly are ridiculously hospitable (laughs) they were like give give up their bed or you know they'll have a separate they'll make a separate guest house just just in case a guest no comes, way. or there'll be a living room that no one ever touches, just so that the guest comes. <laughs> or these like piles of nuts and you know dried fruit. So that would be, um, yeah, a common value. And actually, I think we are so much kinder, so much more um, compassionate, and so much more loving than we think we are. And what we are is really just a reflection of our context, of our geography, history, nation, how much sun we get. Mm. Um, you know, the lifestyle we have, which is often not because of us, but just because of the environment we're in. And so if if you were to be in Sri Lanka, I think you would find yourself, for example, smiling more or having many more expressions of joy, not because you're not joyous here, but just because here there's different things are valued. And so you you just... I think the biggest thing I learned that humanity wants to evolve into its highest self. And so these values have come up and are driven by us trying to get the best out of ourselves. But what that value is, is determined by your context. Mm-hmm. But they're all positive, great things. I mean, this is absolutely fascinating. We're going to keep talking to Mandeep after this break. This is the Badass Women's Hour podcast. You can get in touch on all the socials on at Badass Women's Hour. We will be back after this. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. 
Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. We're talking about the new book, The Values Compass, What 101 Countries Teach Us About Purpose, Life and Leadership by Dr. Mandeep Ray. And... Uh, We've got 101 countries to get through. Not quite. We're not going to do all of them. Mandy, we were talking before the break about the values that are shared by everyone. And you talked about how how everyone thinks that hospitality is their number one value. Um, were there any... I was just looking through the list of values here. Were there any values that maybe you didn't necessarily like before you assigned them? So there are some which are obviously lovely. We all want to think that we're diplomatic or um, that we're great at forgiveness. But I was thinking about maybe some which are like moderation. Who, who really wants to be known for moderation? Tunisia, apparently. Or directness. The Netherlands, so direct in the Netherlands. Yeah. Were there any that you kind of, you warmed to more as you knew that nation better? Brilliant. Um, there are certain values that I definitely don't possess as much as others um it's good that you you mentioned moderation because i think uh, there are there are values that almost clash Mm -hmm. um so being entrepreneurial and being um moderate don't quite go you almost have to be unreasonable to be you know break all the barriers and become entrepreneurial and um for example with Belarus stability. I, I can't find it on the list, but I'm sure you're right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh yes, yeah. Belarus stability. Well done. Um, I remember thinking, really, are we, are we, um, are we going to kind of value stability? Do I value stability? Not really. I value freedom and curiosity and expression. But when you think about what they've been through and how tough, how rocky it's been. I'm sure if I had that history, I would actually value stability too. And then you, so I guess that would be an example of a value yeah. that I, I can understand. I don't crave it because I actually I feel like, uh, sometimes I feel like I have too much stability <laughs> and I'm wanting to rock the boat a little. Um, but I, I understand why you would want stability. If you've come from a war zone, mm. you crave stability. And are there any countries that you had a preconceived idea about and then when you got there it's completely different, the total opposite? opposite um i remember not knowing what to expect from the dominican republic Mm -hmm. and giving it enlivenment um you might think what is enlivenment but enlivenment is kind of when you talk with your whole body when you express yourself with everything you have um and you are hit by their kind of dynamic passionate enlivened nature as soon as you land in, on all forms, like whether it's the way they make chocolate, whether they are involved in fashion, whether they're authors, politicians, like musicians, they're all just at the top of their game. Even people who are like starting off in any profession, they they really 
embody it and enliven it. And I was super impressed by that. I didn't expect that at all. Mm. Can I read a little bit from Please. your um, from Nicaragua? Because Nicaragua caught my eye because the value assigned it is poetry. And this is just so beautiful. So he said, some countries have artists, architects or athletes as the symbols and bearers of their national culture. Some are defined by geography, political ideas or religious culture. Nicaragua alone is a land that lives, breathes and expresses its identity through poetry. Here there are more poets per capita than anywhere else in the world. The most famous and revered Nicaraguan, Ruben Dario, was a poet. The president, Daniel Ortega, was a poet in his youth. And so is Vice President Rosario Murillo. The two are married. I mean, oh. how wonderful. I would wow. never have thought of that about Nicaragua, but it is a country so imbued with poetry and romance that your president and vice president are married and both of them are poets. <laughs> and so many so people wonderful. in the cabinet are poets. And so that's how they express themselves. In fact, that's kind of almost how their constitution was formed and what they live by and what their revolution happens by. It's through poetry. It's incredible. Does it make you want to live in a different country? I'm just going back. It's just really got me thinking I mean, now. I have just, like, I've just put my visa in for Nicaragua. <laughs> I'm going. <laughs> but from what you were saying, you know, you know, if you lived in Sri Lanka, then maybe you'd experience more joy. And suddenly I... Suddenly I'm just getting this different perspective on on travel. So now, now you've seen this, you know, got this worldview. What do you think is the... Well, I suppose it's it's a personal thing, maybe. Sorry, I'm kind of like speaking and thinking the question out loud. But like, would do you, do you actively thinking that you would like to live in a different country all the time? Right. <laughs> but could you pick where? No, if, if I'm ever asked where do you want to live, I would say anywhere, anywhere. Right. I, I say anywhere but here. But what I mean is anywhere new, because I just want to always be experiencing yeah. the new. Um, and my husband often says, you don't actually want to live in these places. But that's not true, I do. But I think he says that because he just can't fathom how a family would exist going from one place to another to another to another. Yeah. So he kind of keeps me rooted here, which I hope won't last long. But whilst we have small children, it might last for a while. But, but I'm just interested in your, your book to me now. Is, it's, giving, it's just giving me a different perspective on travel because I'm like... Mm. Instead of going for like the normal things where you go, well, I go for the culture, or I go because the weather's nice or the yeah. scenery's nice or the sea's nice. It's like, oh, actually, I want to experience values, joy. I'm yeah. going to go there. So this to me is like, actually, I think this might be my new, uh, new guide <laughs> to new guide. holiday destinations <laughs> in 2020. Oh, wow. That's great. Or to the world, right? It's yeah. a guide to the world. Yeah. But it's also a guide to you. So mm. the, one of the aims of the book is for you to figure out your core values and to your point when you were introducing it, how to make decisions. Um, and once you know what is, what out of all those 101 or more, whatever you value, you make your own list, what is most important to you, you live your life in a whole different way. Mm -hmm. And the way you spend your time shifts so that it's aligned with what actually is important to you rather than you just reacting to whatever's in front yeah you. and your values are created like you say with the with the countries their values are created from their history and their culture and lots of things come through individually our values are formed through our own life experience too right yes yes but very much from our nation we just don't you, you know honestly if you were to put be put anywhere else you would be different and it's yeah. hard to think that but yeah. it's actually the case often we only put ourselves into another hotel and have exactly the same environment even though we're in another country mm. but it's to really shed like to go into their way of life 
then you see the difference. I remember wanting to just be Cuban in Cuba, and that meant not being in the dollar economy, not going into a hotel, not for people to actually not even know that I was a foreigner so that the police wouldn't get in the way and people were allowed to talk to me. And as soon as you are able to cross that line and permeate, then you just, um, then you can really experience it. So it does make you travel or, or yeah, travel differently. Mm. So I know this book is out on the 23rd of January. I know this is the first book, but I'm already like, is there a part two? Is there another 101 <laughs> countries? Because I need to know, I need to tell the value. Yes, I need to do, I feel like I need to do another 99. Mm. It's hard to know how many countries there are in the world because different lists classify it differently. Yeah. Um, in my head, I just feel like 101 and 99 sound good. So yeah. there might be, <laughs> or it might be, it depends which list, you know, yeah. it, which kind of definitive list I choose for how many countries there are in the world. But I definitely feel like we need to, I, it feels incomplete, doesn't it? Yeah. I think it's absolutely beautiful. And I think we've all fallen a little bit in love with the book and with you. Thank you so much for coming in and joining us. The Values Compass, What 101 Countries Teach Us About Purpose, Life and Leadership is out on 23rd of January. Uh, Dr. Mandeep Rai, thank you so much for joining us here on Badass Women's at Excel. You've been listening to Badass Women's Hour. If you like the show, then help more people find us. You can tag us or talk to us on social media using at Badass Women's Hour. Or you can be really lovely and leave us a review and a rating. Five stars, please. It helps boost us up the podcast rankings and allows other people to find us. We'll be back next week with more Badass guests and in-depth chat. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.